right. Thank you for listening to another episode of Remake Rewind, the podcast where you decide if remakes or reboots should have happened. I'm Mike, as always, with me. I've got my good buddy, Alex. How you doing, man? I'm doing good. How are you doing? Oh, I'm doing so great. Actually, things are really good. The last couple of weeks have been uh, a little interesting. We're, we we basically missed an episode because uh, your household had COVID, and then as soon as you started to get better... You know, you ask, hey, can we delay a little bit? You know, I'm not quite, if you really want to record, we'll record, but I'm still recovering. And then as soon as you and, and Scarlett started recovering, Katrina got COVID pretty bad. And then I had a business trip. So it's been a pretty, pretty hectic month for, for both of our households. So yeah. And it's, it's funny because you and I saw each other uh, the night that I started getting symptoms, but I don't think that I gave it to you. No, there's no way you gave it to me. I never got it. I was testing positive from the moment. Or I was testing, you know, every other day from the time that you told me you tested positive because you tested positive the day after we hung out. And I, I never got it. And then Katrina got it. And so same thing, you know, we luckily we have a two bedroom. So I was able to stay away because I have I had a business trip last week and I have a huge trip coming up in about a week and a half. So it's like I could not get it like this month. I cannot get it. It's a big month. Like I'm going to Barcelona and Nice in just a couple of weeks. I'm nice. like, I cannot miss that trip for work um so i was like fuck i cannot get it. i cannot get it and somehow you know I, I missed it and amazingly when i had covid last year katrina who you know she's immunocompromised somehow she didn't get it was lucky so both times that somebody in our household had covid the other person didn't get it so we got really lucky yeah uh cool so yeah you know i'm good too thanks for thanks for asking yeah everything's good I'm glad you and 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 Scarlett are feeling better because you, yeah, you were testing positive for a pretty long time. It was like just over a week. Um, yeah, a little. And she was a few days behind me, and she was just a little bit over a week too. So it wasn't wasn't crazy, mm, but that's good. she's had like a lingering cough though, which is not poor Scarlett. Yeah, not super fun. Oh, I'm sorry. Apparently, it's a thing can, that can happen, and the um, expectation is like a week, week and a half, and she's got uh, medication for it, so it should be okay. Good. Yeah. Good. Good. Yeah. I I was. Very excited about this episode to do um, when I heard... So we're going to be covering Matilda. Matilda. Matilda is obviously... I, I'm a few years younger than you, so Matilda was a bigger part of my childhood than probably yours, but I'm sure you saw I mean, the 1996 version. Yeah, were, I, I was uh, I was 11 when it came out, so I feel like I was still kind of... Maybe I was a little yeah, bit old, but I was, I was in there. I was in there. I grew up yeah. on Roald Dahl stuff, too. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I was... So it was 96, so I was like eight. So I was definitely the right age for that and like this was a movie that every time it was on tv this isn't something that was on tv you know all the time but when it was on we would watch it um we covered this on ruin my childhood a couple years ago and i've I've watched it since we covered it on ruin my childhood and now so this is this is a movie that i'm very fond of and uh we we were going to do matilda um in december when it came out but we decided to take a little you got covid and so we decided to push it a couple weeks because this came out on in on Netflix in December. So we're about three weeks late for this movie coming out, but I was really excited because this Matilda musical obviously was a big TikTok, Instagram kind of trend for a little bit. And then Wednesday just knocked it out of, of the park with, with its little dance. But this had a really viral TikTok, Instagram advertisement of like the kids fucking going hard dancing in the hall. So I was really excited. I did not see that. Oh, it was big. It was, it was, a lot. I sent it. I sent you the ad. It was like, damn, that new Matilda goes. Yeah, hard. yeah. I saw the ad and I was like, and, oh, that was interesting. And it was a lot of people were recreating it for a couple of days because it came out in the UK in November, and then it dropped in uh, the US in December. Uh, but then Wednesday came out, and still, you know, obviously everybody is doing the like that's not the right song, but the you know, the Wednesday dance. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so this one, like a few people were doing it, and then Wednesday came out, and everyone just completely forgot about this. But I was really excited because I was like, "Holy shit, this looks insane!" This this musical version. So I was really excited to cover this. So I'm I'm glad that we're finally getting to it. But uh, I've definitely got opinions and things yeah. to say. I was about I food. was excited. I was I was excited. <laughs> <laughs> i think uh I, the way you said that i think i feel the same way i'm, I'm gonna have a guess well, but we'll, we'll talk about it yeah yes yes we will we'll, we'll get to it do you want to summarize the first movie or the second one um <laughs> i'll do the second one all right so matilda classic roll doll story about a genius girl who uh you know she she gets picked on by her family she gets picked on by authorities at school um but then she figures out that she's like a little baby carrie and she can move things with her minds. And she, uh, in a much more 
family-friendly way enacts her revenge on both her family and the evil principal headmistress, Mrs. Trunchbull, and uh, finds happiness with her teacher, Miss Honey. It's like a wholesome Stephen King story. It is. So I'm just going to say this before we talk about it, and I want you to, I, I think maybe we can do something a little different at the end of this version. Uh, but when I was watching it this time, and I, it was something I noticed this time around that I never really noticed in previous watches was in this version, I would like to see a trailer for this movie at least. Recutting this movie and make a trailer where it's almost like a, a talented Mr. Ripley style like <laughs> suspense thriller where the whole plot of the movie is Matilda manipulating everybody to get adopted by Miss Honey who's actually rich. Because by the end of the movie, Matilda goes from being both uh like she's being um neglected in all aspects of her life to basically being adopted by a multimillionaire by the end of the movie who has a huge property nice house and everything it's like you could with clever editing you could edit this to be like a weird suspense thriller kind of movie and i'd like to see somebody do it yeah maybe i should do that yeah and we'll we'll, we'll talk about it those do well for people yeah my, my ticket to stardom yeah, there you go. Matilda. That guy did um, The Shining as a romantic comedy, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he did. Yeah. I remember that a few years back. Yeah, it's good stuff. Yeah. Um, um, I was going to say, yeah, well, uh, just continuing my thought from before you did the uh, synopsis, I lost <laughs> I lost my train of thought for the framing of this, but I think that this movie appeals... Oh, we were talking about how old I was. So, you know, I was 11. I was a little bit too old for this. Um but I think that the way that this story is told, um, the way that you know Danny DeVito envisioned it, Danny DeVito directed this, by the way, super yeah, cool. Yeah, he did. Um, I think it appeals to a slightly older crowd. It feels a lot like a Tim Burton movie, and um, it definitely does. Yeah, and like Tim Burton um, had Pee Wee Herman in it. Yeah, exactly, Paul Rubens, and um, that's sort of a the the demographic for these types of movies. Um, feels like it's you know you, you, it feels like a family movie like you can watch it with um, you can watch it with your six year old but the parents will enjoy it too absolutely and um, you know we'll get to it when we get to it but the new one doesn't quite feel like that no it doesn't I've, I've gotten a lot to talk about with the new one um, with this this original one it's there's something about I'm just gonna say this is one thing I'm gonna say about the beginning this movie and the new one and I'm gonna try to not talk about the new one as much going forward but one of the things that I really appreciate, and you and I have talked about it when we've covered, you know, other movies that have like miniatures and puppeteers and whatnot. But there's something about having things on the screen, in camera, and when she's doing all of her little telekinesis stuff, for the most part, except for when they're like throwing kids and kids are flying around. That's obviously got some animation stuff going on. But when she's like moving the chalk around and moving the things around in her bedroom. For the most part, that's things on wires and on blue, you know, green screen maybe, but things are moving around. Like it's practical for the most part. I remember watching the new version being like, when the fuck is she going to get her superpowers? And even this version, she gets her powers later in the movie than I remember her getting them. But in the new version, the first time you really see her do it and like really control it, she does this thing with her hat and flies around. And it was such an obvious CGI hat. And I was like, I understand that it's quicker and easier to do that, but it was very obvious it was a CGI hat. And even though like it's very obvious these things are on wires or on arms that are moving around, there's something about seeing a physical object moving around a room. Yeah, it's charming. That even though it was hokey, there's charming. Like it just feels more real because obviously there's a real thing. And you know, yeah, it was a little hokey, but I would take the hokiness of this one over the CGI telekinesis of the new one any day. Yeah, and I think stuff like that gives you a little bit of leeway with an audience for something that you do need to use CGI for. There's a couple CG shots in the um, in the original one, and one of them is when she has the poker chips and everything spinning around in the living yeah. room. And that's like, it's very clearly CG. And, you know, it doesn't, doesn't look fantastic, but it's fine. And I think when you're in the moment of the, um, in that moment watching that movie, you're like, all right, well, yeah, I don't, that doesn't bother me. Keep on trucking, because um, you well, built yeah. up goodwill from all the practical effects. But when when you that scene that you mentioned with the poker chips flying around, there's other stuff that was done practically right. in the same shot. Right. So your eyes are more focused on the her. Uh, um, why? Matilda. Why can I think of it? Matilda. <laughs> uh, I was going to say the actor's name, Martin but I Wilson. couldn't. Rem- 
Thank you. Um, Who's awesome. You know, you see Mara Wilson, Matilda, and you see some of the other stuff. Your eyes are looking at her and the other stuff that are closer. Right. And so the ships being CGI in the background, it's more of a, a flourish versus what you're supposed to be looking at. Yeah. And if, you're, so, if you haven't uh, watched the movie recently, we're talking about like lamps in the foreground and stuff that are just yeah. kind of shaking. Yeah, but like your eye is drawn to that because they're at the front of the frame. Yeah. You're also looking at her. And, you know, there's some other smaller stuff that are moving around. Like the stuff that's at the front of the frame is real and the stuff in the background is the CGI's. So your eye doesn't immediately go to that. And, you know, that's what CGI should be used for is it should be a tool to, you know, embellish things and do things that you really can't do. And I, I do think we've talked about it a lot in previous episodes. But, like, we did get to a point, especially in, like, the mid-2000s where – we CGI'd everything just because we could, even if we didn't need to. Yeah. The most effective uses of CG um, that get talked about when you're talking about this kind of stuff um, do that. They blend uh, practical um, elements with CG. I'm talking about like the Wolf of Wall Street, which you, most people don't even notice. Uh, Jurassic Park. Um, yeah. Christopher Nolan does it. Very well. Yeah. 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 Um, uh, let's talk about this. The actual story. Yeah, let's do it. This is such a got, bud? this is such a nice story. It it is really a nice story. You know, you've got Mara Wilson who is just delightful and you know, there was just a brief period in the, you know, early to mid 90s where you know, you had between Miracle on 34th Street this <laughs> and uh Miss Doubtfire uh, where Mara Wilson was just this like beacon of just hope and cuteness and just warmth of of kid and family friendly movies and you know it's it's, it's interesting because she had like another actress you know, obviously there was a baby version and then there was one that was supposed to be the four-year-old version and she's the six and a half year old version i almost feel like you didn't need that other introductory kid in the middle i think i think mara just could have done the whole thing and i would have been fine with it yeah but she's great yeah she's great i really appreciate um how well danny devito is able to balance um the sweetness with like the meanness of this movie because there, there's so many yeah. over the top mean elements that don't feel over the top, but like Trunchbull and her parents are so fucking mean. And I feel yeah. like, um, you know, in another movie, uh, Matilda and Miss Honey would be like saccharine, you know, they'd be yeah. too sweet. And um, there's a lot of uh, uh, balancing going on in this movie and it totally works. I'm really impressed with Danny. Well, what makes what I think is even more interesting about that whole thing is like this movie was made at a very difficult time during Mara Wilson's life. Her mom passed away before the movie was done right. being filmed and her mom was going through very aggressive um, cancer treatments. Her dad was having to work still. So Danny DeVita and Danny DeVita, <laughs> Danny DeVito and uh, real Perlman, his wife, you know, you know, they actually took in Mara Wilson for a lot of periods during this, the filming of this movie because the dad was working so they actually let her stay and would play with her and everything. So they actually had a very sweet family dynamic yeah. for this movie. And then, um, you know, Mara wanted to make sure that this movie got done. It was dedicated to her mom. So this was like a really difficult movie to be done at this period. And to have that like that darkness that you mentioned as well as the sweetness. It's, it's pretty amazing that they walked the line that they did. Yeah, the, the sincerity comes through. Yeah, that like, sweet well, like dynamic. it's what's interesting. And I, I've, I'm not the first person to bring this up or ask about it. But, you know, there's a lot of parallels to the Harry Potter series, the Dursleys mm -hmm. and and um, the Wormwoods. And one of the things that, you know, people always ask, like, which is worse, the Dursleys or the Wormwoods? And, you know, <laughs> Dursleys get an asterisk because they were around a Horcrux the whole time. <laughs> but ultimately, what I what I love about this movie, I think the ending of this movie and everybody's seen this so i don't care about spoiling it and if you haven't this movie's 30 year old movie sorry yeah um figure it out but the ending of this movie i love because at the end this is where i, I kind of talked about this being a little bit more of a suspense thriller like she kind of manipulated things because <laughs> at the end of the movie um the fbi is zeroing in on the family and they show up like ah we got to get out of here the fbi is coming and matilda goes hey, I've got the adoption paper. If you guys just sign it, I can fucking kick it with Miss Honey. <laughs> so it's a little manipulative. Like, they kind of put Miss Honey on the spot. Like, hey, do you want to adopt this kid that you've known for a couple of weeks? Yeah. Um, and she does it, of course. But there's a point where Rhea Perlman, uh, as the mom, is like, oh, I this is kind of fucked up. Like, I've been a terrible mom, like, so bad that my kid wants to be adopted by somebody else. But she also realizes 
it's the best thing for her. Right. And there's like a moment, like you can tell that the parent, both Danny DeVito and Riel Perlman realize, shit, we've been really bad, terrible parents and we feel bad now, but we recognize that this is the right thing. And they selflessly, not selfishly, selflessly let her go and be where she can flourish and thrive. Right. And it's a very sweet ending. It's a kind of a bittersweet ending, but I look at it as like, they did the right thing for their kid. Yeah. That was the right move. Yeah, I think the the book in the movie says it's the first uh, good thing that the parents have done for Matilda her whole life. Yeah. Yeah, it's really sweet. I think um, another thing that works about this movie is that the uh, the parents like kind of love each other. They're like uh, Morticia and Gomez if they uh, yeah. were pieces of <laughs> shit. And it's like, yeah. it's charming. And the movie new yeah. movie doesn't really have that. No, it's, you're right, because there's the scene when Miss Miss Honey comes to the, talk to the parents and be like, your daughter's a genius. Like, I think we should try to get her an accelerated program. The principal's not listening, but I think you guys as parents should push for her to do that. And they're like, Pfft. and like to your point, Rio Perlman's like, look at you. You use your brain and you've got nothing. You're by yourself. And look at me. I've got this nice house and I've got this husband who provides. Like, they really do. Yeah, they get along. They're, clearly, they're always on the same page. Yeah, they, they clearly get along really well. Yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting. It's like, and and they get re- along very well with their son as well, Mike. <laughs> little AJ uh, little Soprano. Mike. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it's interesting. Like, there's a family dynamic that works there. They just, for whatever reason, from the day Matilda was born, they just neglected her. Like, she learns how to write her name in spilled food as, like, a <laughs> one-year-old baby. Yeah. And she teaches, like, from, like, four years old on, they just forget about her. And they just go and do their thing. And she's running a household at four years old. <laughs> Uh, I like that Danny Vito is basically just doing Frank Reynolds, by the way. Yeah, pretty much. You know, it's funny when like he bleaches. Well, she puts the peroxide in his hair oil and it bleaches him. I actually thought he looked better with like the bleached hair. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Seeing him and the, uh, the the dad with the green hair in the new one uh, made me feel very uh, self conscious because I've <laughs> I've looked like both of those guys. Looked like both of those <laughs> within the last year. <laughs> you have. You have. You've had the exact same hair color as both of mm-hmm. them. <laughs> Um, I think I pulled it off kids, better. Yeah, the kids were great. You know, all the child actors were fantastic. From you know, the pigtail girl getting thrown to Lavender with her her newts, and uh, uh, I can't I can't remember the kid who had to eat the cake. The uh, Barry Bogwater. Yeah. fantastic <laughs> names for everybody. Miss Honey, Crunchum Hall, uh, Trunchbull, Barry Bogwater. <laughs> so good. But, like, all the kids were really delightful in this movie and did a great job. Yeah, none of them felt like they were stealing the show either. Stevie from Malcolm in the Middle is, like, a background kid (laughs) in this. Um, So I was like, hey, it's Stevie. Um, But, no, it's, like, everything about this movie is, you know, well acted. It's great. John Lovitz also popped up doing, like, a little RoboCop thing. Yeah, (laughs) I buy that for a dollar, kind of that guy. Yeah, exactly. Sticky or whatever, (laughs) the little weird sticky game show where you just get covered in glue. and. Um, the son was also wearing uh, Napalm Death and um, Judas Priest shirts. That was cool. Yeah. It's just an all-around solid movie. Like, I don't really know what to talk about with this one. I feel like everybody has seen it. But, like, it's just a really well-done, heartfelt movie that's still, to this day, very entertaining. Like, we, we covered on Ruin Our Childhood, and we're like, yeah, this is still a really fun, fantastic movie just to sit there and enjoy. Yeah. It's heartwhelming. Well, I could talk about it from a technical standpoint a little bit. There's Do some it. stuff that I appreciated. Let me get let me get you that tech standpoint i just think it's a uh, like cinematography is uh from a cinematographical standpoint <laughs> it's very elegantly crafted um and there's there's like very 90s things like the um the 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 zoom ins or like the the really quick dollies into people uh, yeah. it's like a recurring thing but it works really well and it feels very like evil daddy almost which is cool. It gives it like gives us the uh, the movie some dynamic, and there's also these like very '90s uh, fisheye um, lenses on Trunchbull, uh, which I appreciate. Yeah. It makes her look very like monstrous. Yeah. Um, also, weirdly, doesn't date it. I think there's a lot of. It felt like there's a lot of camera work that felt um, <clears throat> very '60s, '70s, like very classic Hollywood filmmaking. Um, I thought I thought that was cool. I thought that did that. That did another thing that was impressive to me, which is that it didn't date the movie. It made it feel timeless. Um, I agree. There's something about this movie where it's almost like the, I mean, obviously Danny DeVito learned a lot from Tim Burton in the movies that they had, you know, done prior to this. And Danny DeVito has also been working on sets for, you know, forever, 30 years at that point. 
Yeah, you know, he he had his sitcoms and all of his movies and stuff. But there is something like the Tim Burton Batman movies. It's like in this weird timeline where it's like, is it in the 30s? Is it modern right. day? That's is exactly it what it futuristic? is. It's it, like this movie feels like, with the exception of like cell phones not being present, like this feels like it could be set today mm-hmm. if you didn't show the 90s tube TV. Like if they didn't show any of the technology that they did show, this could be today yeah because there's a very deliberate blending in the costume and the set choices of um styles and trends from the 60s 70s 80s and 90s and it's all like um so bright and vibrant too it doesn't tie it to any any one period well and i think us watching it right now like 90s is a bit like big comeback right now like 90s Mm. fashion is back we're also right. in that and like Devito's not going to pr- predict that, but that's definitely no. working in its favor. As it, well it's as definitely working in its favor, yeah. yeah. As well as like there's a a reference to um, Bruce Springsteen at the end. He's I, I feel like Bruce Springsteen is still relevant. So yeah, absolutely helps. he is. And also uh, the Napalm Death and Judas Priest shirts, like band the bands that people still talk about, um, it keeps it all feeling you know timeless. Yeah, it is. And then like there's just certain things that are like the physical <laughs> comedy in this that's always. There's something about simple physical humor, almost like, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? I can't think of it. But it, it's, it's just like the type of comedy that's in this movie is is timeless. There's no Slapstick. real references. Like you meant, all those references that you mentioned are over decades. So there's nothing that pinpoints this and locks right. us into a specific time zone. But then there's also the uh, um, like the type of humor, like the pratfall kind of humor, right? What's slapstick. What this? Slapstick. The slapstick humor in this is good, but not over the top. Right. Like. You know, when they're throwing the pigtail girl around, they do just enough spins where it's like, that's excessive, but it's funny. Yeah. And the way she flies around, it's just silly and over the top. Um, she punts a black cat. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like little things like that. It's just a little over the top. Yeah, it's a, so you it's know, it's fun. a fairy tale. It's a modern fairy tale. And there's, yeah. uh, I feel like a good fairy tale, you don't ever think that you're really rooted in reality, but you also feel for the characters as if they were real people. Yeah. One of my notes, I've, I've got it right here as I put, they do a B&E because Miss Honey and uh, yeah. <laughs> Matilda break into her Just doing their old ha- her old house that Trunchbull stole. And then at the end, I wrote, does another B&E, moves the dad's portrait to scare Trump. So Matilda goes back by herself, breaks into the house again, and just fucks with Trunchbull using her powers to make it look like the house is haunted by the dad. Um, and it's just really well done. Um I, I don't really have anything else to say. It's a fun movie. It's a timeless classic. Yeah, I agree. How much money is the mom losing at bingo, by the way? Who knows? Like, all she does apparently is go play bingo during the Every day, day while the dad's at work. And get, like, mani-pedis. Yeah, and, like, I don't know if the, if bingo is like a casino, but I have to assume that the house is winning most of the time. Yeah, so the way bingo works, because that's obviously a thing that senior citizens do. Like, I think it's a thing that you go and you buy the boards when you walk in. And you reuse the boards the whole time. So it's like. But nobody's hey, you, like nobody's um, nobody's like gaming bingo the way that card counters do at the casino. No, because typically the way bingo works is it's something super simple that anybody can do. So normally it's just they make their money on volume because it's like, you know, you'll go to a bingo hall and there might be 100 people playing and they might play. They might pay yeah. a, a dollar well, per game. I mean, Mike, I know how bingo works. I'm just saying. So <laughs> I don't think it's that expensive. Like, I think if we were going like you could go and probably do bingo for you know, $10 a week and still all right, all right. play a bunch of games. I don't think it's that pricey. All right. All right. Um, the dad is just like so concerned with um, making money and being like a fifties patriarch, you know, yeah. what's, what's funny about that is they also part of like, they don't send Matilda to school until she's six and a half because he actively doesn't want her to go to school. Cause he's getting all these like stolen car parts shipped <laughs> to his house because he's convinced the cops are watching. And she's like, the cops are here. Like, Oh no, 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 no. Those are speedboat salesmen. Speedboat salespeople. She's like, they're definitely cops. Yeah. So he doesn't want her to go to school. Cause he doesn't want packages piling up. He wants her to be there to like sign for packages. So they just like neglect her education. So that way they can have her there managing the stolen packages. <laughs> it's so funny. It's good stuff. I like to think that this movie is kind of a prequel to always sunny. It could totally could be. <laughs> Den- Dennis and Deandra feel like the uh, children of these people. Yeah, it's like Sweet D got sent somewhere because of her scoliosis, and <laughs> that's little Mike is uh, Dennis. Yeah, even though he looks like AJ Soprano. Is it AJ Soprano? Is it the same kid? No, I, I looked. Oh, okay. I looked it up. It's not, but it's close. When yeah. uh, the Sopranos starts, like six years, or no, I guess 
four, four years, four years later. later. 2000, 2001? I think it's 99, actually, so maybe three years later. But AJ is like the same age as this kid. Got it. So it's a little off. Same kid, though. I'm both in Jersey. 99. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. I know my Sopranos, buddy. Um, did you know that DeVito and Bruce Springsteen are like good friends? And DeVito is also from Asbury Park, and that's why they did the little Bruce reference. Oh, no, I did not know that. That's cool. No, you do. That's cool. All right, man. What have you been up to, bud? Should we uh, should we wrap that up? Good movie. Nah, recommended. I think we said enough good things about it. All right. What have I been up to, bud? I got, hold on. I got to clear my nose. <laughs> <laughs> I did that for you in solidarity. It's gross. Um, let's see. What have I watched since the last thing that we watched? It was Willow, right? Yeah. Jesus Christ. That was a while. It's been about a month. Yeah. Yeah. So I saw Violent Night. Me too. Super good. Horrible audience, um, but very fun. Me too. I, that's like, I had one of your audiences I when know. I went and saw it. It was awful. I had another one of those recently. Um, liar Liar did a little rewatch. Also holds up. Um, came out the year after Matilda. You know, they're basically sequels. <laughs> um, I saw Aubrey Plaza's Emily the Criminal. On, uh, How was that? Barack Obama's recommendation. Just kidding. Uh, it was good. I'm surprised that it was on the you know Barack Obama's end of the year thing. Like I feel like it's getting um a lot of hype. And you know Aubrey Plaza is great. Like I'll watch her and whatever. Uh, I enjoyed it, but I I didn't it didn't like blow me away. Um, we watched uh, This Place Rules, the Andrew Callahan documentary. Yeah. Um, we finally watched Glass Onion. We were putting it off because we had tickets to see it at the new Beverly and um, we got sick and we we're like, Oh, I don't know if we're going to make it. We weren't able to make it. So we finally watched it um, on new year's Eve. So fucking watched good. I liked the first one better, but I enjoyed this quite a lot. Like I still think I like I th- knives out a little better. Yeah. I think <clears throat> what's cool is that there's a debate to be had there. Like yeah. I think people, a lot of people like glass onion more for perfectly valid reasons. I might even be one of them. But it's not um, an open and shut case where it's like it's not Jurassic Park is better than the Lost World, no yeah. argument. They were both good, and they were like different genre of the mystery. Like this one is a more closer to a Agatha Christie who done it because they're all there. Where the original one was, he came after the fact and was more of a detective, and it still had the who done it. Like we're interviewing each person, but it was yeah. I, it was different how the mystery unfolded, which I appreciated. I was about to talk about details, but I guess I think it's too early for that. Yeah. I agree. Um, so what else? We've been watching uh, a lot of Buffy. <clears throat> we finished our Curb Your Enthusiasm rewatch. Nice. Um, oh, we watched the first episode of WW Evil. Have you heard about that on Peacock? No. So it's like a six episode. I don't know if they're doing multiple seasons or not, um, but it's a series that examines like the heels of the uh, of WWE throughout the years. So. Huh. Um, they do like a whole episode on one or two people. So this first one was on Hulk Hogan and his, um, heel turn to Hollywood Hogan. Right. And that was super okay. cool. <laughs> Interesting. I, I was I'm like, I, I was never a huge wrestling fan, but I paid attention to it a little bit when I was younger. Um, like probably right before he became Hollywood Hogan. Um, I remember like Razor Ramon and Bam Bam Bigelow and, uh, Mankind and some of these I, guys. I was never a big wrestling fan, but there's certain people like Hogan, Hulk Hogan, right? That you they're, they're Brett, Brett, the, Brett the uh, Brett Hart, yeah, yeah. You know, there are people Shawn like Michaels. that. Sean Michaels, yeah. Um, the Undertaker, yeah. You know, well, those are, I think those are all the same class of guys. I think that's, yeah, those are the ones that really broke. And through. then a little bit because I remember they started doing the wrestling video games. Like I had, yeah, that's what kept me involved. And so they had like Sting right. and Stone Cold Steve. I mean, everybody our age was doing the. <laughs> yeah, Dick suck, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, but anyway, that that so that show was really good. I just watched the Hulk Hogan episode; it's fantastic. Um, and then they're doing um, they do like the Undertaker and uh, Kane and um, the uh, Stephanie McMahon um, and Ric Flair. So wow, Ric Flair. Yeah. So we're gonna watch some more of those. That seems cool. Cool. Um, saw Megan the other day. Heard that was fun. Yeah, really, really enjoyed it. Um, and I finally watched Bullet Train the other night also. Oh, that was, I loved Bullet Train. I really enjoyed it. I saw a lot of people like writing it off and I was like, it's fun. What else do you want? So I went to an early screening for that. Not like a super early one, but like one that was like a week before it came out, Mm -hmm. um, for like AMC investors. 
and I really enjoyed it. And I was like, and I thought it looked fun. Like I was gonna see it regardless, but I happened to be out for a business trip and I got an email and they're like, do you want to go watch this tonight? I'm like, yeah, I'll go watch it tonight. And it happened to be one of the seven cities playing it was um, like they were doing it in Seattle and I was in Seattle for work. That's awesome. I'm like, yeah, I'll go see it. And I really enjoyed it. And then like when I got back from that trip and it came out, I took Katrina to see it and I've watched it. Uh, I, I have it on Blu-ray. I've watched it already as well. So that's on my list too. So no, it's yeah. a fun movie. Yeah, I'm going to revisit it. it. I, had, I had a good time with it. I had a great time with it. It felt yeah. like it had the, uh, a good balance of um, action and comedy and uh, and a little bit of heart at the end. You know? And character work. Like they, mm-hmm. it, So many people were in that movie for like minutes, but you got like a whole vibe from all these characters. Like Bad Bunny is in the movie for maybe three minutes total. But he had a whole arc. Yeah. He had a whole arc. Yeah. Um, Zazie Beats was in it for the same thing for like a minute and a half. Yeah. And then like, you know, there's another actor playing her, obviously, because she's in disguise for most of the movie as like a, uh, I don't want to spoil yeah. it, but she's in disguise for this movie. So she's really only in the minute for like a movie for like a minute and a half. But same thing. She still gets a full arc. Yeah. Somehow. It's amazing what they did in the period of time they had. Yeah. And it feels like everything, you know, coalesces at the end and, um, you know, there's a theme to it and it's cool. Yeah. I really, maybe this is a spoiler. So if you don't like the, if you don't want to hear a spoiler, uh, jump forward 15 seconds. Um. I don't know his name, but the dude that played Scorpion. Why is it the same character? Yeah. Yeah, it's basically the same. Why is he Scorpion again? His family yeah. gets killed and there's fire. Yeah, I agree. I, I had the same note and I was like, oh, he, this wasn't much of a stretch for him. Yeah. I still, I, I like that guy a lot. I'm still down. Yeah. No, he's good. But I thought that was funny. So you, you good or you got more? That's it. All right. I'm going to go through. So, you know, obviously we had the holidays, so I watched a lot of Christmas movies. So I'm just going to shotgun these real quick. But both Home Alone movies, The Santa Claus. A new movie that came out this year with Neil Patrick Harris. It was okay. It was called Eight Bit Christmas, and it's about Could like finish how it. we. Yeah, it was only fine. Okay, Love Actually, Christmas Story, Christmas Story, Christmas, the sequel. Wow, you really I, got into it. Uh, well, Katrina, you know, we had fortunately for I work for a French company, and so we got a lot of time off for the holidays. Mm-hmm. So we had a, we had multiple four. We had like three four day weekends like in a row That's essentially. Awesome. So um, Christmas Story, Christmas, Die Hard, Elf, yeah. and then yeah. before Katrina got COVID, we were able to see a couple. We saw Babylon. Oh, word! It was all right. I have I, yeah. I have no like interest in seeing it. I'm sure it's you know, great. It's it's worth watching. I I enjoyed it. It's like three. It's just three minutes shorter than Avatar two. Uh, and the, but it didn't feel. It was three hours and nine the minutes. The Navi's are in not, it too. Yeah, it did not feel like it was three hours long. Like it mm. went by pretty quick. I I enjoyed it, but it was very much like <clears throat> trying to like suck its own dick. Yeah, it was That's very up its own ass. Um, saw Avatar too. I I really enjoyed it. I thought it was way better than the first one. I also have no interest in seeing that movie. You should see it. I know. My, the, from a, the only interest that I haven't seen it is because it's a big James Cameron movie, and I know it. If you need, if you see it, it has to be on a big screen. It it has a lot more heart than the first. So I personally fucking hate um, Sam Worthington. Like, I hate him. And because I don't see his face, because this version, like, he's he's the Navi guy the whole time, he doesn't bother me as much. But, like, the characters they introduce, like, the kid characters, like, actually, that's not just adding kids for the sake of kids. They're part of the story. And there's actually some, like, heart to it. Navi? More like Navi. I highly recommend it. Like I, I really enjoyed it. I'll see it. We'll uh, talk about it. Uh, we rewatched Loki because uh, uh, Ant Man three comes out next month. Yeah, and I want to rewatch part it. Of it. So I, I told Katrina that she needed to watch this. She hasn't watched most of the Marvel. She, she didn't watch Falcon and Winter Soldier. She didn't watch Hawkeye. She didn't watch Loki. So I told her she had to watch Loki for Ant. Did she like Loki? So she liked it a lot. Yeah, I was gonna say I feel like that's yeah. up her alley. Yeah, no, she really liked it. Uh, we watched Woodstock '99 on Netflix pretty good yeah um, sad i watched the batman again <laughs> and i watched it like i think i mentioned it on the last episode but i watched it again so katrina was sick and i had these trips so i couldn't get sick so i had a lot of time by myself even in the house and then i also had a work trip so i traveled and i was on a plane so i had a lot of time to watch things so i watched the batman again violent night i also really really liked it it's it's not a good movie but it's very fun and entertaining and there's just yeah. something about it um we started rewatching the Mission Impossible movies, so we got through the first four yeah. this weekend. Um, yeah, I think that's it. 
I'm going to rewatch. We finished White Lotus. We were when oh, the yeah. last time we chatted, we were an episode behind and the episode aired. So we we finished White Lotus as well. I want to rewatch all the Mission Impossible oh, movies. Oh, Snake Eyes. I watched Snake Eyes on your oh. your uh, recommendation after doing uh um and Eraser. I really liked it. It's, it's so really good. good. It's super good. Yeah. Yeah. De Palma, dude. Yeah, I've owned that movie on Blu-ray. I have a, a two-pack that has Snake Eyes and Face Off, <laughs> and I've had it on Blu-ray for like 10 years, and I've never got around to watching Snake Eyes. But no, it was good. It, everything that you said, it was the exact plot of Eraser, <laughs> but with more character development. Uh, hot, it was good. Hot take. Snake Eyes is a much better movie than Face Off. Oh, it, yeah, no, it is a better movie. <laughs> it, no, that, that's that's true. Well, it was funny. We watched Mission Impossible 2, and Katrina's like, why is this so different? And it's like, because they, like, yeah, bent, they, they got John uh, Woo to do it, and they had to rush through the script, so the script wasn't done, but, like, they wanted to get John Woo right after Face Off, and Nicholas, or Tom Cruise really wanted to work with him. So that movie, Mission Impossible 2, was rushed yeah. to get it done so they could work with him. Um, but, yeah. It's a movie. I, I agree with you. Yeah, it's definitely a movie that happened. All right, 2022. And, and De Palma okay. directed the first Mission Impossible. Yeah, he did. Yeah. Connections. It's a solid movie still. Still holds up. I, I like the newer ones, like from three on are my favorite ones. Like I worked at the movie theater when three came out, and I watched it every break and lunch when that movie was out. So I loved three. And I've four, five, and six, I saw both of those, all, all three of those in theaters multiple times. Oh, yeah. So I, I'm a big fan they're of the good, series. They're good so. flicks. Yep. 2022, Raw Doll, the musical, Matilda... Or Rawls Doll, Matilda the Musical, whatever it's called. Summarize it, baby. Yeah, man. So it's it's the same story, but they added singing and took out all of the character work. Yeah, there's summarized. That, yeah, it's it's odd because like in this version, he the dad ripped off like the mob or the mafia instead of just ripping off Trenchbull and, and the, the FBI. Their whole story is so far in the background too. Yeah, you like know, it just the, never comes. The ninety six one, really. it feels like a two hander. What's going on with the parents and the police and stuff? And in this one, it's just like, oh yeah, the parents are doing something bad, whatever. Yeah, and this one's weird. Like it, it's. I'm just gonna say it at the front. I was really looking forward to this because that video that I sent you with the kids dancing in the hall, and it's like we got to be a little bit naughty. We got to revolt against the adults, and I'm like, yeah, and like, it's so fast, and the dance moves are insane. Like, yeah, I was expecting. It's impressive. That. It's and an impressive clip. And that was the whole, like, that was, like, the entirety of the advertising mm-hmm. for this movie was that. And that, to me, seemed like a middle of the movie, like, let's go, like, team up against the adults right. kind of thing. That's the ending move song, like, that the movie ends on. I felt robbed. Yeah. Because I don't, I wasn't impressed with, like, any of the musical numbers in this movie. Nothing memorable. Nothing. Like, and, like, the, da- like, none of the other ones really had any big dance numbers. Like, there was some, obviously some, but, like. When that is the entirety of the trailer and all your Instagram advertisements and mm-hmm. all your TikTok advertisements and all your Facebook advertisements and all the advert, like most even the print stuff, I saw like one billboard or something for it. And if you, based off the advertising, you would think the little blonde girl in the beret is Matilda. Yeah, yeah exactly. She's going to play not, some integral she, role. She's, nope. She plays no major major role in it at all. Yeah, and so I kind of felt cheated by this movie. Yeah, it was it was kind of a slog, man. I honestly I fast forwarded through some of the songs in the second half. It felt like this. So this movie was I opened just it up under two hours. Right, I opened it up and I was like, oh, it's two hours. I'm not excited about this anymore. Well, even in that, I was like, oh, whatever. Like, like I, I think I'm into musicals more than you, and I hated musicals until Greatest Showman. And then for whatever reason, something clicked in my brain, and I went back and rewatched a bunch of musicals mm-hmm. and. I, I have much more of appreciation. So like I went into this one thinking, I don't, th- I'm going to like this more than Alex. Like I figured I was going to like it more than you. Sure. And like, it was a chore. Yeah. I, 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 you know, even like in certain things like the hair, the dad's hair turns green and I was just like, okay. Yeah. And like the parents were worse in this movie. Like, yeah, they the actors didn't seem like they were having a ton of fun. I really missed that the um that Danny Vu and Rio Perlman were like their characters were in love in the first one. Yeah. Um there was there was no like there's no balance to it. No. They're just awful like in people. This version, and Matilda like, was kind of a pill too. Yeah, she wasn't like you don't necessarily need to be super sweet and everything, but like the dad like understand me is like, oh, you know, he not understand me, it's his fault. He perp in this version they purposely didn't send her to school. In the original version, they thought she was four, 
and they liked her being at home. Mm-hmm. So it's just kind of like, eh, they're idiots. They forgot to send her to school, and they were also selfish. In this version, they purposely didn't send her to school, and then they got a fine for not sending her, and then he's like, you're punished for us getting a fine. And she's like, well, fuck you, Dad. Now I'm going to go mess with your hair. And it's the first ver- first of three versions of you got to be a little bit naughty uh, in this. And it's just like, okay. And there was like this weird sub story, like side story where she has a relationship with the librarian, but the library is a mobile library, like in like a big old RV. Yeah, I didn't care for and that. And she's like telling a story. Didn't like the story. A, an escapist and a uh, acrobat who fall in love. At the circus. And have a baby at the circus and the evil stepsister slash sister-in-law forces the mom to perform even while she's pregnant and when it causes complications and the mom dies during childhood. It's a really dark story. It is. And the, and the librarian says, this is a really dark, fucked up story. Like, why are you telling me this as a six-year-old? Yeah. And she's like, oh, you know, it's just a story I'm making up. It's not real. But then it turns out to be Mrs. Honey's story. Exactly. And it's just like, I don't understand, like maybe in the musical version, because there's like, there's musical numbers that are cut and there's certain things that are cut in the movie that are on the stage version. And it's like, maybe something got cut, but like, why the fuck would Matilda know Miss Honey's story? And she said, Oh, it's just a story. It's just so odd. And then at the end of the movie, she says like, Oh, it's your story. I thought it was just a story I made up, but this is like your exact story. And like, I don't feel that was earned at all. No, it was weird and it doesn't pay off. Um, And it, it adds at least 20 minutes to the movie and I don't have any attachment to it. I don't have any, I don't have any reaction to it except that, um, you know, Matilda, uh, except the woman dying, like Matilda describes in detail that this acrobat was uh, pregnant and forced to do this death defying trick and uh, spoilers. And she, um, you know, falls from the trapeze or whatever um, and breaks every bone in her body, but she still manages to deliver the kid and then dies immediately afterward. And it's like, why is that even, why is that in this children's movie? And this movie feels like it's marketed, um, not marketed. This movie feels like it's made for a younger audience than the original one. It doesn't have that Tim Burton four quadrant thing going on. It feels like this is made for children and it's kind of darker, even though the original one has a suicide in it. Yeah. Well, and like the original one was funny. I made like I didn't say this when we were talking about the original one, but one of the things that I thought was funny because Matilda's a genius in both versions. Like in the original movie, she does like a math problem, it's like thirteen times four hundred and thirty-seven or something like that. And this version, she does like this like crazy <laughs> calculus. calculus problem. Yeah. Um, whatever, it's fine. Um, but like, it's not as charming. No, like she doesn't get the powers until way later in the movie, and it doesn't have that scene. Like she gets the powers. And she like tilts the glass like the first time she realizes she has the powers. It's just like the first movie when the newt is in the water and she tilts the glass and everything. But in this version, she immediately is like, I have powers. Let me show Miss Honey. And she immediately like it takes her a little bit of time, but she like moves a can or something for Miss Honey. In the original version, she isn't able to do it immediately. She has to practice. But you get this that wonderful scene with the poker chips that you brought up. Where she's like practicing and she's like she's having some joy because she's a child throwing the power, you know, moving everything around the room. And she gets better and better. In this version, she never like the powers never come easy, which I guess is a little bit more realistic. But yeah, she's never a child with them. Like she never has right. fun with them. And like it's well, speak, yeah. speaking of her not being a child, the original movie, um, you know, I'm not going to get the times right on this, but it spends a lot of time with uh, the putting the audience with Matilda and like endearing us to her. And it's easy with Mara Wilson because she's cute. She's charismatic. Um, and this little girl is like, you know, she's a, she's a, she's a cute kid or whatever. Yeah. But like, there's nothing about her that is like, Oh my gosh, this little girl, she's so sweet. Um, and the movie doesn't do her any favors because it just cuts uh, within the first like five minutes. Um, we're being told that the parents are bad parents, even though we haven't seen it. And Matilda's like, sometimes you got to get back at them. And it's like, okay, well maybe your dad has a point. Maybe you are kind of a little pain in the ass. Cause you're, you're just immediately fucking with his hair, you know, in the original yeah. one, we see the parents being shitty to her. And we even get that moment where, um, the dad says, uh, I forget what the exact quote is, but the dad gives her the idea that a person should get some comeuppance if they're yeah, bad. Yeah, he says, when you're bad, you need to be punished. Right, when like a person says, is oh, bad. Yeah. And they make a whole point. The narrator's like, he said a person, not a child. And it gives yeah. Matilda the idea that she can get back at people. And that sets up what she does for the whole movie. You know? Yeah. And in this version, she's just like, I'm Matilda, and I know that you need to be mean to grown-ups sometimes. 
I mean, I, I, I'll disagree with that because the whole opening thing was every parent in the hospital being like, oh, my child is the best and it's so beautiful. And the, the doctor's like, this is the most perfect baby I ever delivered. And the mom is like, I'm not pregnant. I'm not having a baby. I'm not having like, I don't want it. And then, I know, like, but it doesn't have the same to, effect. Yeah. And then like the dad's like, oh, it's not a son. It doesn't matter. And he calls her boy throughout the whole movie. Yeah, which is kind of weird, yeah. too. Yeah. And then at the end of the minute, like, oh, you want to adopt my daughter? And he's like, you called me a daughter. Like, it was weird because at the end, I felt like, like I said, the ending of the original movie is perfect because they were terrible to her the whole time. And then they recognized the best thing is for them to go. This movie, it almost seemed like they weren't going to do it because they're like, you want to take my daughter? You want to raise my daughter? And everything. And like Matilda goes, you called me daughter? And it's like, wait a second. Are you going to like go back for a second? Like, and like this one, it doesn't like she they fill out paperwork in the original movie. And this one, it's just like. I will take care of her and pay for everything. Yeah. But like, this isn't like a legal arrangement. So it's almost like leaving it open, but maybe the parents can come back. Yeah. Yeah. It's just like, it's kind of, um, it's not as neat and tidy and sat- no. and satisfying. It's not. So and the, like even go ahead, go ahead. The, um, the dad is like misgendering her throughout the movie, which is like, it's kind of weird. It's kind of a weird choice, but, not a huge deal, but um, it, the movie also does this weird thing with uh, making Crunchum Hall, the school, uh, feel like a concentration camp. The, the original movie yeah. kind of does that, but this one really leans into it. Like there's straight up World War II and 1984 Big Brother imagery, like deliberately done in well, this the movie. The slogan is children are maggots, but in Latin. Yeah. Like, that's the school's slogan. Yeah, and, like, when they go into the school, it has, like, um, it's got a gate with the words on the top that feels very, like, uh, feels very concentration campy to me. I agree. And, um, you know, there's the inside of the school um, is just, like, gray and brutalist, and I guess uh, I probably should have taken better notes, but it feels like there's very specific references to well, both no, World War II and... You're absolutely right, because, uh, like, they say, this isn't a school, it's a prison, and then there's a point, I don't even... I glazed over, because this, this movie was so long and slow and a chore, but there's a point where... Let me see if I wrote something down for it. While you're looking uh, at that, there's even a moment in um, Trunchbull's office where you see the window behind her, and it is, like... Uh, Star Wars Empire logo. It's like circles in a very yeah. specific orientation. But there's there's a point where like I don't remember why why they were doing it, but Miss Trenchbull had like the entire student body like doing some sort of like physical labor in the mud. Yeah, yeah. And they were wearing these like one like onesie kind of like prison thing. Like it looked like the clothes that when you look at like Auschwitz photos, like just the the outfits that they had them wearing, like the like the prison uniform thing. Like they basically were in that kind of uniform doing like physical labor mm-hmm. yep. in the mud. I, I think your, your observations straight on, like this was like a weird prison concentration camp. At the style. end, they even like pulled down a statue, like the same imagery yeah. that you see of Saddam Hussein's statue being pulled down yeah, or, or also thing. Confederate statues being pulled down. And there's a, there's like a, a reaction shot. The statue comes down of Lashana Lynch, who's Miss Honey, who's a black woman uh, looking at this statue being pulled down. And then um, there's also like a weird racial implication of, um, Trunchbull, Trunchbull is you know the step aunt of Miss Honey, uh, in both movies. Um, but in this movie, Trunchbull is a white woman and Miss Honey is a black woman. And um, this movie also has this very specific thing where Trunchbull has kept receipts of uh taking care every of expense. Miss Honey, every expense that she's had raising her from you know six to eighteen or whatever, and she's making Miss uh, Miss Honey work off this bill for the rest of her life or whatever at Crunchham Hall. Like she's either garnishing her wages or taking all of her money and allowing her to live in the cottage or whatever. And there's this like weird racial implication of, of a white woman keeping a black woman as an indentured servant. Yeah, it was a little weird. And certain things about the, like this movie, even though it's a musical and by nature of it being a musical, it can't be more realistic. But there, it almost seemed like they tried to keep this more subdued and like grounded in reality. Mm-hmm. And everything like, you know, she struggles the whole movie with her powers. Like she does the whole like scrunching the face and like mm-hmm. putting her fingers to her temple kind of thing and really trying to do like the telekinesis thing. It feels where, a lot closer to Firestarter or Carrie. Yeah, yeah. And it no, it absolutely does. And they try to like keep it a little bit more grounded in like the way the physics like when like she throws the kid around. It's not as like her flying thousands of feet like it is in the 90s version. But then there's also like weird stuff with like she stretches that Asian boy's ears 
And then there's another part where like the kid who has to eat the cake burps. Like she, for whatever reason, she just thinks Matilda stole this piece of cake. Yeah. And then like the little the little fat kid burps, and then it travels visually across, and then Trunchbull smells like that burp smells like chocolate. It's him. So there's like these weird moments that like for a movie that tries to be a little bit more realistic and like heavy, then it does these like two or three random things like the ear stretching and the visible burp yeah. that just like are completely outside of the rest of the the quote unquote realism of this movie. Yeah. Like. Yeah. Exactly. This is a movie where you uh, visually see a burp float across a room and then a woman uh, like licks the particles out of the air to taste what the burp is. And then also they have, uh, you know, fascist imagery, (laughs) like like directly fascist imagery. It's not a metaphor. And what's what's weird about this is there's something to be said where I think like this movie being more serious, like this is a more serious movie than the original one. But also like. Emma Thompson, I love Emma Thompson. I think she's an incredible actress and can do almost any role you give her. But, like, this Trunchbull wasn't scary. Like, it was, she was a little off-putting. But, like, Trunchbull in the original movie is this big, imposing scary. And you mentioned, like, the camera work they did to make her even more big and imposing. Mm-hmm. But they also had, this like, her jumping off of, like, second stories of landing and the whole house shaking. <laughs> yeah, right. Like, and, you know, part of that is, like, you're looking at this from the point of view of a child like Matilda. Mm-hmm. And even though she's a genius, she's still a child. So it makes some of these things a little bit more imposing and fantastical. Like, realistically, when she threw the girl with pigtails, she probably didn't fly hundreds and hundreds of feet. But that's what a little kid is seeing. Right. And I get from the first movie that even though she's a genius, you can get a little bit of, like, unreliable narrator because it's right. a child. But this version, it's just like... Trunchbull wasn't as scary. Like she looked like Emma Thompson in prosthetics. Where like Trunchbull in the original movie was scary, and I've seen women who kind of look like her. Obviously, there's an exaggeration, but like she was more terrifying in the original movie. Yeah, and you uh, you reminded me of another thing that I thought was really interesting. You're talking about um, these fantastical things happening from the point of view of a child, and sort of um, giving us uh, an excuse for the fantasy, right? Or an excuse to suspend our our belief. Um, but there's a whole dance number when, uh, Bruce Bogwater is eating the cake, um, where they're like cheering him on, which sidebar that scene also doesn't work for me because the kids like cheer him on right from the beginning. I prefer in the 96 one where Matilda like makes a thing out of it and there's some suspense whether or not he's going to finish it. And he like, he needs their encouragement to do it as opposed to this one where he's just into it from the beginning. But, um, there's this whole dance number where the kids are like cheering them on cheering him on and he's about to finish it. And then we cut back to reality and miss honey is like yelling, like go Bruce, but it's just her. All the kids are sitting there terrified and you realize, Oh, this whole dance number has happened in the, from the perspective of miss honey. And that felt super weird. Like yeah, why is this woman having a daydream? The kids should be having the daydreams or like that. That's the problem. Like with musicals, either say every musical number is a vision or a hallucination or just a fantasy or don't because it later on it seems like right the musical number is real. like there, it's just like this movie was having its cake and eating it too and just like not committing no offense, to what Bruce. it is yeah yeah like decide what it's going to be and like people understand like musicals are not in real life like they're surreal places where people burst into songs like right. just but then you can't break the it. fourth wall in the middle and say this is actually happening okay. in this character's head we don't know if the yeah. other ones are yeah it's 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 a little weird um I don't really. I didn't. I did a little um, Google to see how this movie was being taken, uh, you know, in reviews and stuff too. And it's got like ninety-two percent on Rotten Tomatoes and I think seventy-five percent audience score. Um, I was surprised that nobody's talking about any of these things. No. Well, and I don't feel like we're reaching at all. No, and there's other things that were like interesting that like didn't pay off, and they kind of like like the the little Asian kid throughout the movie is like, I think I can move things with my minds, and throughout the movie you see him like. Uh, trying to move things and it can't and at the end of the movie he's doing it and then you see it can move but it's just like built into the playground they had like a can right, built a into a pulley as a trick and it's like why would you add that to a playground like right. you add this feature specifically for this one kid just to like torment him like what is that and the for? school the school also becomes a circus for some reason yeah there's like a full-on carnival and there's like a giraffe and they're feeding it like that's super like there's these windows that are like three stories up and they're feeding a giraffe like with a completely open window like you can't do that this isn't a learning environment no it's just like it was that real at the end like where did all that money come because it it becomes um 
from Crunchum Hall becomes big, fun. Big, friendly school. Big, friendly school. But it's like, where did all this money come from <laughs> to, like, build a carnival there that apparently seems to be just be there now? Right. Because then this version, Miss Honey doesn't get a bunch of money, right? No, they end up at the house. Like, she gets her house still. Yeah, but in the original movie makes a point of saying that she came into a bunch of money. This one yeah. doesn't. No, this one it just seems like she got her house back. Yeah. The original movie, it's clearly there's a family fortune and that big-ass right. house. And she also just, like, takes over the school from Trunchbull. She says, this is my school now. I, I literally laughed out loud because it's such a ridiculous line. It was weird. And, like, yeah, granted, I've never read Matilda, so I don't know what the book is like. Because, like, in this version, there were other teachers... Right. throughout the movie like they don't they don't have like any lines or anything but they're just like intimidated and then at the end of the movie they're almost like uh grandpa joe from <laughs> Willy wonka where they're just like all of a sudden they're all lively and they're on the roller coaster and the ferris wheel and yeah. they're all and all that stuff it's just like that was another thing about this movie like if you're um if we're in a fairy tale then that's fine i don't need to think about what the other parents and teachers are doing sending their kids to the school or teaching the kids at the school and miss honey has an excuse because she's working um under you know coercion or whatever duress, duress thank you um but in this movie they're making a point of showing the other parents and showing the other teachers and now i'm thinking about them and i'm like what kind of people are allowing this to happen you guys see this yeah, i want to know the, what their excuses are and like the kids that are just like oh the parents will never believe us like if you literally every day come home and say you were put in a chokey yeah well that's the other thing that's weird about this like there this, this was the one thing i kind of liked and then immediately was like undercut where they're like if we just stand up to her, they can't put us all in the chokey. So there's a scene that's not in the original one where like they're doing like a spelling bee or something and all the kids are doing great. And then one kid misspells a word and they're like to the chokey. And then all the kids just stand up and start misspelling. Spartacus. Words, but like, yeah, but it's not like they were assigned a word. Just like one kid stands up and he's like cat C A S. And then another kid's like net N E P. Why wouldn't they and, say K A T by the way? Yeah, whatever like whatever you, you need to be it's, it's fine but then they're like you can't put us all in the chokey and then she's like yes i can and she just like in that classroom has like a hundred chokies like when the fuck t does a principal have time to build these and then like it didn't pay she set up like a it. saw torture room yeah it was super yeah right Chekhov's like, chokey they didn't she didn't put anybody in there and then it like just like immediately goes to the next scene like it didn't actually matter so yeah it felt like that was like a huge studio note they were like oh we need to do something to one-up the last movie even though that like is not a thing that's not the goal of this movie no it's just i don't know and this like had a big like this won all kinds of awards in the west end and whatnot and it was like apparently the the musical's different than the movie yeah there are a few there's different musical numbers there's other subplots that got cut because um, I mean when you go to a theater they're typically longer it's probably like a three hour play sure. versus you know a two hour movie but I, I, I I'm I'm pretty much done with it I yeah this is this is a bummer I want to watch a fun movie next time yeah, I want to watch two fun was, movies yeah I thought this was going to be I thought I was really excited about this I thought this looked incredible yeah and there wasn't a single musical number that was except for the closing one like that closing number was fucking rad and I feel like they should have, like, they probably would have got a little bit more goodwill from it if they did, like, what The Greatest Showman did, where they opened and closed with The Greatest Show. Mm -hmm. And just, like, he's passing the baton to Zac Efron at the end. But, like, I feel like if they started with something strong like this, like, people would have been, like, a little bit more on board. But, like... Well, apparently people are on board. You and I are the only one talking about this. That seems odd. I... I yeah. This so. is a Netflix dropping the ball again. Yeah. Did you see All that... Right, man. Well, Not just really quick about Netflix. Did you see that 1899 got canceled? I did. Um, I think that Netflix has exhausted goodwill of people who want to watch shows on there. So Why would you get invested in the first season of a show on Netflix if you know that they're just going to cancel it? Well, and that's the thing. is, It's weird. There's all these campaigns for certain shows. Like when um, Sandman came out, they said like it was like the biggest show at the time. And but like Netflix is like, yeah, but, you know, it's that doesn't mean it's going to get it. So like there was fan campaigns of people going through and I, I i had friends on facebook who were like we need to make sure that sandman gets a season two watch it so like i have friends mm -hmm. who watched sandman like three times in the first month because they want to make sure and there was even campaigns of like just turn on sandman turn off the little notification that says are you still here and just play it so it's so get it. it's so stupid that it's coming to that and, and netflix has made statements like we don't make re-up things unless we've seen that a lot of people have watched them but then all people are saying, like, every time Netflix posts something on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter, everyone's like, 
don't fucking don't cancel these things right away because the problem Netflix is putting themselves in a place where they're saying they're forcing their fans or to binge shows versus being able to watch. And the whole point of streaming is I can watch something whatever I want. Right. And so and it's going to backfire for them now because people are not going to invest in these shows. Well, that's that's what's happening is people aren't watching the shows because they don't want to get like Santa Clarita Diet got three seasons, but it still ended on a cliffhanger. Yeah. And it's like we we don't know how that goes. But Netflix is the worst in terms of canceling things after one season. Yeah. But it's like maybe they need to do it like see how it goes after three months. Like give it a quarter. Right. And I, I mean, that's even not enough, honestly, but something. Yeah. And I have to assume that on the other side of the business, people are less uh, likely to work with them. You know, from a from a writer, director, uh, filmmaker perspective, you spend years crafting something and you go to multiple outlets. You go to HBO and Hulu and, you know, Disney or whatever. Um, you go to all these places and you finally settle on um, the location that has uh, the team that you believe in, that th- that you think gets your vision and is going to push your show. And then you spend two more years writing it and filming it, pouring over all these tiny little yeah. decisions and blah, 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 and then promoting, going out on this tour and talking about it, getting excited for the next season and dreaming up what it could be and shit. And then they just cancel it. And HBO yeah. Max did this shit too. When you cancel things that people have spent years of their life working on, they're not going to trust you anymore and they're not going to want to bring their ideas to yeah. you. And well, you're like, going to get the, worse uh, content. The two guys who directed um, Batgirl. Uh, Batgirl, they said they would they would work with them again because like, how are you going to turn down an opportunity to work for a major studio? But they're like, we would put it on the contract going forward that this movie has to come out or we're not going to work with them. That's insane. Yeah. Well, no, like Christopher Nolan is potentially not working with Warner. I Actually, I don't think he is. I think... Oppenheimer's not under Warner Brothers. I think Brothers. you're right, yeah. So, like, he said after they released, were releasing things directly in theater, he's like, I'm not going to work with them anymore. Yeah. A lot of the actors were upset. Directly to uh, streaming, you mean? Yeah, directly to streaming, right. yeah. Um, day and day. Yeah, they fucked um, him on Tenet. Yeah, and then... I know it was uh, a hard well, time, but... Yeah, well, and the other one that got fucked was um, uh, Godzilla versus Kong. Mm-hmm. Warner Brothers was the distributor. They didn't make it. Um, it, was, it wasn't Lionsgate. It was... Um, Legendary Pictures right. made it, but Warner Brothers distributed. Warner Lion, or um, Legendary has said they're making another movie in the Kong Godzilla universe, and they they are now not working with Warner Brothers. They ended it because Warner Brothers made the decision to distribute it and do day and date, and that movie did decent in theaters. Like it made a few hundred million in theaters, yeah. but nowhere near and as height, much of, as height of the pandemic. Yeah, it, nowhere near as much as it would have made if it didn't go. And then you look at. Yeah, it's just insane. Yeah, I, streaming needs to figure it out. I think streaming is going to be a bit of a bubble. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what ends up happening. And I mean, Disney Plus has their own issues too. I'm not worried about them not committing to Marvel or yeah. shows like that, but they're doing the opposite. They're like oversaturating. Yeah, well, and the issue that I'm kind of upset about as you know a big cinema guy, like you and I go to the movies pretty much every week. You know, or close to. Yeah. And you know, one of the things that really kind of pissed me off during this year and like i like i i'm big in amc and like i support that company and they were talking about how q3 was going to be a rough quarter because the studios weren't putting out anything like they delayed so many movies during the pandemic and they're still delaying movies for whatever reasons for like putting them in different times but like there was no movie really worth seeing from august really until november there was like a good three months where there wasn't like that. Oh, you have to go see it. And that's why movies like smile were able to like dominate, but still they were only making $15 million. Like that's not a big opening. So it's, it's just kind of like weird that we have this like weird bubble in streaming and it, streaming isn't necessarily doing as well, but there's studios are still not putting out quality movies throughout the year. Yeah. It's uh, even, I, I was talking to a friend at work and there's a lot of good movies coming out this year, but like January like this month, other than like, like Megan looks fun, but there's nothing really big coming out this month. February has a few big movies like Ant-Man and a couple mm-hmm. other, but like at this point, the studios have recognized the day and date isn't successful. Like HBO didn't get gangbuster numbers. <coughs> Why are they not putting movies in theaters? Yeah. It's yeah. Disappointing. And, yeah. And there's, I, I think there's a writer's strike put, uh, potentially coming up too. So wouldn't surprise me. Yeah. It's going to make things harder. Yeah. All right. Thanks well, for tuning in to the industry show. Yep. That's, uh, give us your plugs, bud. 
Yeah, I'm on um, on Instagram at this Alexic, D-Y-S-Alex-I-C. Uh, you can follow along with the movies I'm watching on Letterboxd, at Palishi, P-U-L-I-S-C-I. I'm also on Twitter, at Palishi, but I'm not using it right now because it's just a whole big pile. The whole thing. It's a whole bowl of wrong. Um, and uh, I'm on TikTok occasionally, at Palishi as well. And yeah. I have a cool Etsy store. If you like uh, TV and movie and uh, elder emo type of t-shirts, you can get stuff there. It's called Burn the Scene Boutique. And if you use the code uh, Remake Rewind, you get a little discount. Yeah, that's in the description. And you guys can check out everything that's MDX Pods related at mdxpods.com, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, all at MDX Pods. We're also on YouTube. Check us out there. Uh, if you want to support the show, you can go to patreon.com slash mdxpods. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for listening. Thanks.